the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Our engineer, Alan Dempsey, and uh, Andrew Herdliska produces the show. Robert Wolgamuth, longtime friend. Uh, He's with us, owner of Wolgamuth & Associates, which is a literary agency, but he's got a fascinating new book out. It's called Lies Men Believe. Robert, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. How are you? Oh, thanks, Pat. What an honor, and what a, what a wonderful friendship we've shared for decades, man. It's been so great. Why was it important for you to write this book? Um, you and your listeners may be aware that 18 years ago, Nancy wrote a book called Lies Women Believe. Uh-huh. And so that book has sold over a million copies. Mm. And so over the years, people have come to Nancy, mostly men authors, and have said there ought to be a man's side of this equation, a book called Lies Men Believe. And Nancy never felt clarity to do that. And then we were engaged, actually, in Orlando at dinner, our favorite Italian restaurant in Orlando. And she said, you know, uh, would you be interested? Would you be open to writing Lies Men Believe? And I said, boy, that would be such an honor. And it was. Um, And so what we did, Pat, was we laid uh, lies women believe down, looked at the table of contents, and built this book uh, off the overall structure of lies women believe for the following reason. First of all, it worked. But secondly, our prayer, our hope was that churches, and I found out about another one last night, that have have said to all the men, you're going through lies men believe, all the women, you're going through lies women believe. Mm. And because the categories are similar, it, this, this creates a lot of great conversation uh, among couples, within families, within the church group. So anyway, that's, so I agreed to do it, and, and that's the way that got started. So a year and a half ago, I dug in, and you've done this so many times in your own career. You know that a book is is. You know, it's baptism by fire. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's this is the one time that men have the thrill of childbirth. When when a book is published after, you know, a year or so of digging in. So the book came out of that, that Nancy felt like this book needed a, a man's side, or the lies women believe needed a man's side. And actually, uh, she hosted a conference in September with 7,000 women in Indianapolis this past fall, and so we got a chance to introduce this to the women there, and this is an interesting thing. You totally get this. This is a book for men. Uh, Nancy speaks to millions of women every year on Mm. the radio and through conferences. So how do you make that transfer? And so I spoke to the women, and I said, obviously, my hope is that your husbands, that your sons, your uncles, your dads will have a chance to read this book. But let me encourage you to give it to them carefully. In fact, I said, don't give it at them, give it to them. So you've got women listening right now who are saying, I would love to have my, fill in the blank, husband, nephew, whatever, neighbor, have a copy of this book. I would encourage you to give it to them carefully. Because it's, it's a very sober book, right? Now, as I write, like, like when you write, Pat, I do my very best to keep the reader going, mm-hmm. keep the pages turning. But this is a tough book. Um, We're addressing lies men believe, which is a watershed experience for men. You and I, every single day, face the temptation to believe lies. And so this this is not just some little chat. This is serious conversation. And in fact, my my hope is that the book is, in fact, a conversation. It's a cup of coffee back in the corner of Starbucks somewhere, and it's just the reader and me and a cup of coffee between us, Mm. two cups of coffee between us. 
and it's opening our hearts to each other. And I'm transparent with the reader. I'm transparent with this guy about things that I struggle with, and I'm inviting him, inviting him to be open as well. So that's that's the essence of the book. That's where it came from. I gra- I gathered a group of friends together, including my pastor and Christian authors whose names you would recognize, uh, and we came up with 40 lies. In fact, our good friend Orlando, longtime resident Pat Morley, mm. wrote the forward to this book. I've worked with Pat from the very beginning of his writing days, 1989, my little publishing company published The Man in the Mirror. And mm. Pat agreed, volunteered happily to write the forward to this book. And as you know, the Lord has given him a worldwide ministry to men. So a lot of really wonderful things have happened in the process of doing this project. Robert, let's dive in. Lies men believe about God. Uh, tell us about that. Well, I think it was A.W. Tozer, in fact, it was A.W. Tozer, that said uh, many years ago, what a man thinks about when he thinks about God is the most important thing about him. Uh, our theology, there's a you know, $25 word, our theology shapes how we think, how we act, what we do, our, our careers, our families, the role we play as husbands and dads, co-workers, colleagues, bosses, leaders. What we think about God is is incredibly strategic to that. And so that's that's where we start. This is the most important and you know, when if you and I were, you know, taking a, a survey, you know, man on the street survey and said, What's the most pressing question that you have or concern that you have? Very few people would say, Well, I have a lot of concerns about how I think about God. But when you read this section, and this section includes actually five different lies starting with God's not a whole lot different than me, which is a big one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is a lie. It's not true. We, we, we worship a God who's very different than we are. He's holy, he's perfect, and so forth. So um, that's where we start. That's foundation. In, in fact, speaking of foundation, the chapter that precedes this first section of lies about God, that we believe about God, is a recounting of the scenario, the scene in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. Nancy's book, Lies Women Believe, is built on deception, that Eve was deceived. The serpent deceived Eve, and with sleight of hand, did God actually say, raise the question in her mind as to what God had said to Adam. Now, it's important to remember that as far as we know, uh, God did not speak to Eve about the fruit. He only spoke with Adam. So what she knew about it was what he told her, right? Okay, so now now you've got the dialogue in Genesis 3 between the serpent and Eve. And this is so important. I know this sounds like you know Sunday school, but hang in here with me. So the, the serpent speaks with Eve and you know says, did God really say, where's Adam during this conversation? In fact, it's interesting. The apostle Paul says to Timothy, Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. And this is so foundational to you and me. This is so foundational to to men everywhere in terms of what we think about God and the lies that we are tempted to believe. So where's Adam during the conversation between the serpent and his wife? Where is Adam? Where is Adam? Well, he's probably right there. Mm. Because when... Right after Eve takes the bite, what does the scripture say that she did with it? She handed it to him. Now, unless she had a good arm and threw it across the garden, <laughs> he was probably right there. He was probably right there. So, number one, Adam's biggest problem was that he was passive. He didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. He didn't interrupt. In fact, it, it's clear that he decided to disobey a holy God than displease or embarrass his wife. That's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. So he's passive. And in, in fact, it's interesting. When Nancy and I were married, now just over three years ago, uh, when we were planning our wedding, I said, you know what, honey? I'm not going to let you get the whole way to the altar when your brother Mark brings you down the aisle. I want you to stop halfway, and I'm going to come get you. Mm. And that was born of the exact thing we're talking about now. That, that one of our greatest temptations as men is to be passive. That has to do with a lot of things in life, especially 
church or a spiritual thing. I'll let my wife take care of that. I'll let my wife handle that Bible stuff or, you know, having devotions with the kids. That's a huge problem. We got to take a break right now. Robert Wolgamuth is our guest. The book Lies Men Believe. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. And remember, faith comes by hearing. Author Robert Wolgamuth is with us. His book is out, Lies Men Believe. Uh, Robert, we've arrived at this lie. Lies men believe about themselves. I'm not responsible for my actions. I don't need male friends, etc. Etc. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, as as you know, because you've got the book there in, in front of you, there are six, actually seven different groupings. I take it back. I'm the author of this book. I forgot. There are eight different groupings of lies men believe about. So it's God themselves, sin, sexuality, um, marriage and family, work and wealth, and so forth. So these these lies come in different shapes and sizes. And, you know, all of us, you and me and every man listening and the husband of every woman listening, understands the daily relentless temptation to believe lies. So... Um, and, you know, lies vary from, sir, do you know how fast you were going, mm. to are you have are you having an affair? I mean, they do come in different shapes and sizes. But what I've done is I've done my very best to cover the waterfront in terms of all kinds of different things that you and I face. And, you know, there's no microphone turned on here. There's no podium. There's no platform. And I am doing everything I can to be conversational and transparent with the reader. As I said, this is serious stuff. We're not talking about the score of the game. We're talking about life and death stuff in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned a moment ago that men, you and I, sometimes default to passivity rather than stepping in when we need to step in. So uh, a lot of these things happen in secret. And um, there's nothing worse, really, than than the pressure that builds when you and I are involved in something that's sinful or that uh, is hurtful to others to just bottle it up. In fact, one of the things I've said uh, in the last several weeks talking about this book is that my prayer is that the guy that reads this book finally gets a good night's sleep. Mm. Uh, rather than tossing and turning and saying, what am I going to do with this situation? In fact, just for a moment, if I can, back to Adam and his passivity, and then his his taking the fruit question, Adam, you and I are having a conversation with Adam now. He's been thrown out of the garden. We're sitting on the stump of a tree. Mm-hmm. And we say to Adam, we look square in his face, and we say, Adam, did you know that when you took that fruit, you were disobeying God? Did you know? What would he say? He would say, absolutely, yes, sir, I did. I, I knew it. So then we would we would say to him, so like, what were you thinking? And you know, I, I'm I'm not looking for a glib response like I wasn't thinking. He was thinking, somehow I'll figure this out. In fact, uh, tragically, uh, a lot you and I open our computers or read the newspaper, and one more Christian leader, one more Christian author, one more mega church pastor, one more Christian guy, fell, got caught doing something stupid. If Mm. we were able to have coffee with that guy after the headlines are posted and say to him, did you know that you were doing something really terrible? Did you know that you were sinning against God? Did you know that you were uh, unfaithful to your wife with whom you had a covenant relationship? Did you know? What would he say? He would say yes. Every time. Almost every time. So then we'd say, so what were you thinking? And he's thinking, because you, you and I, we deal with pride a lot, and this book talks about that. 
But our pride leads us to believe that we can talk our way out of stuff. You know, you and I are both pretty good talkers. And, you know, we've, we've had people confront us with stuff, and we've been able to talk our way out of it many times. Well, that, that's a big problem when a guy is, is in trouble. He's believed a lie. He has been unfaithful. He has stolen something, whatever it is. And he's thinking to himself, like Adam must have, someday I'll cross this bridge. I'll get, I'll get to it when I get to it. I don't need to deal with it now. Mm-hmm. So as you go through the book and through these 40 lies, a man will realize that, that one of the things that, that keeps him from, from uh, the truth that sets us free is thinking that we can talk our way out of stuff, that we'll cross the bridge when we get there. All right, so this is something I'm involved in now, <laughs> but I'll work my way out of this. And and we all are we're we're all guilty of that, Pat. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of the overriding principle of all of these lies, and how we're tempted to believe them. Now it's really important to know that a companion to all forty lies is forty truths. John eight thirty two, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So <laughs> every lie has corresponding truth. In fact, in the back of the book. I list them, so it's sort of like cliff notes. You can go through the 40 truths that that set you back on a, a, a plan, a course, that gives you the power through God's Word, through the truth that is our Father in Heaven, that, that counteracts these lies and gives us the truth that we're looking for. In fact, on page 300, a very good friend of mine, a pastor of a church in Arkansas, contacted me and said, would you be open to my putting together a discussion guide. And so uh, page 300 in the book sends you to a website, to a link that shows you how you can go through this book either by yourself or with a friend or with a small group and, and discuss this stuff. There's nothing more powerful really than the accountability that comes with transparent conversation about this stuff, these lies that men believe. Uh, the next topic, Robert, lies men believe about sin. My sin isn't really that bad. Holiness is boring. <laughs> I can hide my secret hey, sin since it only hurts me. Uh, tell us about this one. Yeah, okay. So uh, early in our conversation, I maybe before we went on the air, we talked about my precious wife's daddy, Doctor Art Demoss, Arthur Demoss, whom you knew very well. He's been in heaven for forty years. But uh, Art Demoss came to know Christ when he was in his twenties, and before that, he had lived a wild life—a two-fisted drinker and a gambler. And then Jesus changed his life, and he spent his life telling people about this life-transforming experience. Well, uh, I wrote this lie, lie 16, holiness is boring, in honor of my late father-in-law. When I was a kid, holiness was an adjective that described a camp that I never, ever would have gone to voluntarily. My grandparents, I'm going to say, dragged me to this camp, and I sat on hard wooden benches listening to people going on and on about how awful and sinful I was, and it was called a holiness camp. I'm not kidding a holiness camp. So as a little boy, I decided that the last thing I ever want to embrace is holiness. Mm. It's boring. It's, it's for old people. They sing music I don't understand. They, they speak and shout. Well, I'll tell you what, in, in God's providence, and I guess through his sense of humor, I married Nancy Lee DeMoss, who wrote a book called Holiness, The Heart God Purified. Mm. He wrote a whole book celebrating holiness. And in this book, she says about her daddy, Art DeMoss, he loved God's law and never considered holiness to be burdensome. So the Lord had a message for me, and he and the message is, let me tell you something, obedience and holiness is amazing. It's the front row of a roller coaster. It's incredible joy, and it's a thrill to, to be a holy person. Jesus, Jesus said, be holy. And so 
knowing him must be the vehicle. He must be able to give us the power to live like that, to be holy. And this goes back to the good night's sleep, doesn't it? Mm. When, when I'm obedient, when my heart is clean, when I've embraced the righteousness that belongs to me because of the cross of Christ, then, then I live an obedient life. My heart is pure and clean, not by anything that I've done, but by, but by God's grace and the cleansing power of Jesus. All that is true stuff, Pat, and you know it by your own experience as well. Now, <clears throat> I want you to talk about lies men believe about marriage and family. Mm. What are you What are you writing there, well, Robert? Well, um, I mean, there's there are six lies in there. Like, like love does not require spoken words. Yes. Lie. Yeah. There you go. Right. There it is. Or my wife is supposed to make me happy. Mm-hmm. Or if I discipline my kids, they'll rebel. Mm-hmm. You know, the scripture says, the book of Proverbs says, that if you love your children, you discipline them. You spare the rod, you spoil the child. And I know this could get into all kinds of arguments about spanking and all that. That's not my point. My point is that kids long for the discipline that a dad brings. And not only does it not turn them away from him, but it draws them to him. Uh, and I talk about that, the importance of consistency as a dad in my own discipline and then disciplining my children. I discipline my kids, that's a verb, in order for them to have discipline, that's a noun. So what you want your kids to do is not depend on your discipline, but to learn from you as a disciplined person to have discipline themselves. And again, that's back to a joyful person is a person who has the ability to, to talk themselves into good things and out of bad things. That's discipline. That's what we talk about in that lie. Let's talk about <clears throat> lies men believe about work and wealth, Robert. What, oh. do you, what do you think? All right. So what's the lottery up to these days, Pat? <laughs> oh, it's up to yeah. mil- up and- many millions. It's incredible. Okay, so the promise there is that if I win the lottery, I'll be a happy person. <laughs> that that wealth and money will make me happy, and I can't I I can't even overstate how wrong what a lie that is. If you read the stories, and I bet you have, of people who have won the lottery, it's a disaster. Their life is over as they knew it. <laughs> as they knew it, they thought they thought I was going to be exactly what they wanted. But if you read stories about people who won the lottery, they've lost their family. Many have committed suicide. They've lost everything that they held dear because they got what they thought they wanted. Mm. So that's a lie. Work and wealth. I mean, wealth will make me happy. That's a lie. How about lies men believe about circumstances? Well, you, you understand this. I understand this. In 2014, I said goodbye to my wife of almost 45 years. The lie is that pain and suffering are always bad. I'm grateful for pain and suffering. Uh, in fact, just in a very tangible way, you pull your hand back from a hot dough because pain's a gift. And if it wasn't painful, you'd do some serious damage to your hand, right? Mm-hmm. So the things that God shows us, the, the things that God reveals to us, to our pain and suffering is stuff that we need to build our character. It's not only something that we should avoid, it's something that we should embrace. And you and I could stop the camera, I mean, stop the tape machine right now, Pat, and talk about what you've learned as a result of the suffering that, that God has sent your way as a gift. It's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> let's uh, close on this note. <clears throat> Lies men believe about the world. What's the story here, Robert? Well, the last chapter, the last lie, is my death will be the end of my story. Mm. Um, You know, the the Bible talks very clearly about hope that comes as a result of following Christ. And, you know, we, we live in the land of the dying, and we're on our way to the land of the living. Many people think it's the reverse of that. So not only is it not the end of our story, it's the beginning of, of our story. Heaven must be unbelievable, and you and I are headed there 
because we know and embrace the truth that Christ brought. Well, Robert, I can't wait to see you in this earth, and then I can't wait to see you in heaven. We'll have a wonderful time uh, kibitzing with old friends and carrying on. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, uh, Yeah, it will. Congrats on your book, Robert. I'm so pleased you wrote it. It it fills a real real need, and I'm uh, delighted we could hook up. Thank you. God bless you, my friend, Pat. Great to hear your voice. Robert Walgamuth, author of Lies Men Believe. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Robert Walgamuth, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, Men, Lies Men Believe. Susan Sohn is with us. Uh, she is in Australia. Now, that sets a record for the guest the farthest distance away here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. But we're delighted. Her book is called True You, Finding Beauty and Authenticity. Susan, uh, thanks so much for joining us. I'm, I'm really glad we could hook up here. Thanks, Pat. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Susan, let me just say this. As we are putting this show together, it is 11.30 a.m. Uh, on Wednesday. Uh, what time and what day is it in Australia? <laughs> it's 3.30 in the morning on Thursday morning, so I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of you. So you got, you're up this early. I cannot believe it. Well, <laughs> I am. When, we, when we tape, you can go back to bed. And uh, that's my hope. Good. I'm, I'm just absolutely thrilled that we can visit. Um, why was it important to put this book together? You know, I think um, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book was because I had looked at my own life and the chaos that was the ruling theme in my life and had started listening to chatter online in the deep, dark, dark moments of the wee hours of the morning and realized that um, we, we were stuck in lies, that, that many of us were stuck um, in lies and not really living our truth. And as, the, as social media had arisen, I found that I was listening to this conversation where women were desperate to tell their stories and to be heard. Well, <clears throat> let's plow in uh, to these fascinating chapters. The first one is called, If the truth sets you free, why am I stuck in lies? Uh, tell us about that. So I have a deep understanding that um, if the truth is out, we can walk through anything. And I think one of the things that we do is we find ourselves stuck in our, our own lies, and we, we have this narrative that we have either developed um, a, an internal narrative that we've believe, whether that be from words that have been spoken to us or things that we have lived, and we end up living in this expression of ourselves that isn't necessarily and usually the truest version of ourselves. And so we understand that the truth can set us free, and when we speak the truth out, that it it can be extremely freeing, but yet we find ourselves safer in our own lives, and I know that, and I experienced that in my own life. I, I found that I was questioning if people really knew my truth, if they actually knew what was going on about me in my life, would I be rejected? Would I lose friends? Would I lose my position in church? All of these things that we wonder, will we lose out if we actually live in our truth? And are people ready to hear what our truth is? And so we, we find ourselves caught in, stuck in lies and living that rather than, rather than embracing who we really are. Now, tell us about the chapter simply called The Spin Cycle. You know, that's an interesting one, and a lot of people have said to me that that's one of their favorite chapters. And I look at The Spin Cycle, and I I liken it to what's happening on social media. Um, We are finding ourselves comparing our lives to social media and other people's highlights reels. We're comparing our high, their highlights reels to our lowlights reels. And so we're caught in this perpetual spin. 
it's like watching, and I talk about, in this chapter, I talk about watching um, a pot boil. They say when you watch, um, when you stand and watch a pot boil, it never boils. It takes more time. It's like watching your laundry in the washing machine just go round and round and round. We get caught in these cycles of being stuck, whether it be through comparison, whether it be through loneliness, whether it be through, there's a whole laundry list of what we can look at. And we get stuck in the cycle of the same thing over and over and over again. And we need to jump out of that. We need to actually be brave enough and be bold enough to jump out and say, I'm actually not going to go around this mulberry bush anymore. I want something different in my life. I want it to look different. I want it to feel different. And so we need to jump out of the skin cycle. Um, my guest is Susan Sohn. She joins us from the uh, Sydney, Australia area. Why do I feel alone in a hyper-connected world? What's that mean? That means, you know, we're more connected than we ever have been through social media. The Internet has done wonders for us. And, you know, I live in Australia. My family lives in Canada, yet I speak to them like they live across the street from me. I'm on FaceTime with them all the time. There's this rich and deep connectivity. You and I are having a conversation right now. You're in Florida, and I'm in the wee hours of the morning in Australia. So we're richly and deeply connected. Yet one of the things that I came to understand um, in, in the research for the book, and the way, the way I researched this book is I actually interviewed hundreds of women around the world, mm. and I wanted to hear their stories. And so I had put a post out on social media, a very well-crafted post that said, I want to go deep and I want to, go, I want to have conversations with women to find out what the challenges are that 21st century women are facing, and I want to go deep really fast. And I put a little calendar beside that social media post, and I went to bed that night, and I woke up the next morning, and, I re- and, my, and three months of my life was planned. And so for three months, I sat from morning until night listening to women tell me their stories, tell me their truth and the lies that they believed about themselves. And one of the things that came out of that was I believed that the chapters of the book would be formed, which they did, and they were. And, and one of the greatest things that I understood was this whole idea and understanding that we are in the most connected time of our life, but we are in the loneliest and most disconnected time in our life. And so many of the women, I believe, actually booked their interviews with me because it was the one time in the day that they got to speak to somebody. So although we are highly connected through the beauty of technology, we are sitting in our home, we are looking at social media, we are watching life go by, and we are feeling more and more disconnected and isolated from the world around us, which is really, really sad. Susan, tell us about your pain matters and is part of your healing. Yeah, I think um, what I've come to understand is we're not very comfortable with pain Um, as people, and especially when it comes to the pain that um, we walk through or others walk through. You know, you think about it, um, years ago we started, we went from, sitting on our front porch and watching the world go by and engaging in our neighborhoods. And, you know, we can watch countless TV shows or movies and you, especially American TV shows and movies, and you see friendly faces on on the front yard. And then all of a sudden, at some point, we moved into the backyard and we put fences up and we lost that sense of community. and And we became scared to look over into our neighbor's yard in case there was something going on and in case we needed to maybe be involved in something. And I liken that to pain in a lot of ways. We aren't comfortable with walking through pain, but pain is a process and pain is a teacher and pain is part of, part of life. You and I both know, I think if we, if we talked for any length of time, we'd both be able to share a story where we have walked through pain for myself. I share quite openly and honestly about the pain of um, miscarriage. 
I walked through three miscarriages, and Ooh. that's something that most <clears throat> women don't talk about. And so I opened that up. I also talk about um, the pain of unmet dreams and um, just stuff I walked through, my husband and I walked through early on in our marriage because of things that we hadn't dealt with. Now, one of the, one of the things that we did was we slept it under the carpet, and we thought, you know, let's just move on, let's just put on a brave face, fake it till you make it, that whole idea. But what I've come to realize is that pain, there's this beautiful process in pain, and as we embrace it and as we allow ourselves to walk through the pain, not ignoring it, um, something beautiful comes out of it. And I, I wrote something recently for another magazine, and I said, I like to cook, and um, I know that a good broth comes from the offcuts that are typically thrown to the floor. And I suggested that what if the pain in our life that we have walked through becomes that nutrient-rich broth that actually becomes healing and becomes something that is desirable. And so I think we need to get to a place where we understand that our pain does matter and pain isn't something to be swept away and swept under the carpet and ashamed of. Pain is something that can actually make us and can grow us into who God intended us to be. Now, <clears throat> Susan, Susan Sohn is our guest, the author of True You. <clears throat> you do a chapter that's simply entitled Addicted. Uh, what are you writing there? Look, I think we're living in a time when we are all addicted to something, whether it be <laughs> Netflix binging, um, whether it be um, alcohol, whether it be food. We've got this hyper-addicted society, um, exercise. There are so many things that, that we have been and can be addicted to. Um, pornography is another one, and I think that's something that um, isn't really something that's talked about, but in my conversations with the women, I heard countless women tell me harrowing stories about living in situations and relationships where addiction was the ruling factor in their relationships. And so I decided to, again, when the truth is out, you can walk through anything, I decided to pull the layers off a little bit and talk about that because, you know, you, you can look at statistics now, even talking about kids and, and their cell phones and usage that and the time they're spending on that. We've got apps now that actually measure how much time we're spending on it. We're realizing that we've got a whole generation of younger kids who are addicted to their screens and we're saying, how, how do we parent through this? How do we raise kids? What do we... What is sleep hygiene now? Because we've got kids who are going to bed with their phones laying by their, by their head. All of these things that we're addicted to, and we don't really often have the conversations about that. And so that's one of the reasons I put the chapter in. It's, it's a bit of a, um, it's a strong chapter. It's one that I think a lot of people got a bit of a shock with. And I kind of like a bit of shock value, though, so I'm good with it. <laughs> that's fascinating. Susan Sohn is our guest. Now, here's the next chapter, your intrinsic value. What does that mean? Yeah, I think, I think it's important that we begin to understand who we are and that we are, you know, we are of value, every one of us. And I think a lot of us walk through our lives questioning that and questioning who we are and what we're here for. And so I think when you really get a revelation of understanding who you are and walking in the fullness of that and understanding that you are valuable and what you bring to the table and the role that you play in the world, in your home, in your community, when you begin to understand that and take hold of that, you begin to live differently. And we all want to be 
I think we all want our life to matter. And I know listening to some of the women I interviewed, a lot of them told me their stories because they wanted to know that what they had walked through is going to help somebody else. And I think when we understand the fullness of who we are, we, we begin to live differently and we begin to love differently. And in and through that, as simple as that sounds, we impact the world in a positive way. Susan Sohn is our guest. She's in Australia. The book is called True You. Uh, we've got another segment with Susan. So stay with us right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. And remember, faith comes by hearing. Susan Sohn has authored the book, True You, Finding Beauty and Authenticity. Broad Street Publishing has put the book out. And Susan, we've arrived at this topic, Fear is a Liar. Tell us about that. So I think most of us can um, say that at one time in our life, one time or another, or maybe on a daily basis, uh, fear has this ability to creep in and almost choke us. And if we think about fear, and we've, we've probably all heard it as well, which is fear is false expectations appearing real. And once you break it down and begin to look at what it is you're actually fearing and what is holding you back from living the life you dream of, what are those things that you're fearing? Once you actually begin to address fear from this place of understanding that it is false expectations appearing real, you can peel back the layers. And oftentimes you find yourself sitting at the end of it going, why was I actually scared of that? Why was I allowing that to hold me back? And so fear is a liar that tends to rob us from um, moving forward in our career, moving forward in our relationship, especially if we've been hurt. If we've been hurt, fear has the ability to creep in and hold us back from taking that next step. Um, there's a lot of really interesting personal stories in in this chapter where um, I really dive into some women that have, have shared some really brave, brave truths with me. And I think, um, yeah, as we embrace fear, as we look at it right in, in the eye, we're able to take our own power back and kind of stand in our truth and, and go, I'm actually not going to let this rob me. I'm not going to let this creep in and choke me and pull me away from whom I'm meant to be. Um, so it's, it's an exciting, it's a fun chapter. It's, um, it, it, it nails it, I think. And uh, now tell us about resilience, rise to adversity. That sounds interesting. <laughs> well, I think resilience is one of a, a woman's best characters. And I, I do think that within men as well, I think we have this inbuilt thing that we don't really understand. There's a quote, and I'm trying to think of it, but it comes from the book, and it says that resilience shows up and puts a rod in your back and causes you to stand tall. And I, I share a story in this chapter about my 80-year-old mother when it became um, time for us to move her from her home into her a new um, re- retirement or age facility. And, you know, she had to let go of her driver's license and all these things. And I watched this incredible woman sit at our dining table and my siblings and I, I was the weakest link in that conversation. And they had told me, you have to be strong in this. You have to be strong. And I watched as my mother, who had lived through the death of a child, the death of her husband, raising a special needs child. And I watched life on her face. And I watched her at the end of the table um, move to tears because realizing that life was changing for her. And it's a a stunning story. And she moved away from the table and gave herself a moment and came back. And she said she had found this resilience once again within her life at 80 years of age. 
time and time again, resilience has had to show up. And she found herself, and I sat and looked at this stunning woman across the table from me, and, and she had found that resilience to move into that next phase of her life. So I share that story. There's a number of other short stories um, that I share throughout the chapter, but I think resilience is something that we perhaps misunderstand, and resilience is especially for for the women I spoke to and women I know. Resilience is something that can be our greatest gift, and we do rise, and we we rise with strength, and we rise with beauty, and I think it's something that um, it, we can all embrace a little bit more. So for me, I think it, it's one of my favorite chapters in the book, um, just through the, the beautiful stories that are shared within it. Um, I think a lot of women will, a lot of people will resonate with, with that chapter. Now, I want you to talk about beauty from ashes. Yeah, you know what? I think I, I, I talk about, in this chapter, I talk about the beauty. If you imagine a stained glass window, many of us have been mesmerized by stained glass windows. But if you think about a stained glass window, it's pulled together. It's a beautiful mosaic of glass um, that has typically been broken or, you know, tossed to the ground. And it's something that isn't on its own. A broken piece of glass is just that, a broken piece of glass. But once you put it together with all these other broken pieces of glasses, it becomes a stunning mosaic that captivates us the world over, whether it be in churches or wherever we see these beautiful pieces of art that when the sun hits it, um, the light can dance around a room and, and can captivate any, from the youngest child to the oldest soul. And I think oftentimes we look at things and don't see the beauty within them. And even with our own stories and the pain and the things that we've walked through in our life, again, it kind of lends itself back to, um, to, oh, what chapter am I thinking of right now? Um, your pain matters and your healing. We often mm-hmm. think that um, the things that we've walked through, we best not bring them, we best not bring them to light. But when we actually do and we start to tell our stories and we start to talk about what we've been through, oftentimes we realize that in the hardest seasons, in the most trying times, there was actually beauty in that. And so I think in and through God and what he does with us and how he walks us through things so kindly and gently that there is beauty in the broken bits. There is beauty in the offcuts. There's beauty in the ashes. And if we allow ourselves to go through the process, we too will be able to see that beauty. And that's some of the stuff that, that others hold on to and encourage others um, to keep going. Susan Sohn, our guest, she's in Australia, and she's talking about her new book, True You. Sometimes it just has to be well with your soul. What's that, yeah. ch- what's that chapter about, <laughs> Susan? That's about understanding that not everything is going to go the way you think it will go. And those, I think it's that, that seven words all together in that <laughs> title, um, those were seven words that were strung together for me um, by my sister um, at a time when I was, I was miscarrying. And I was miscarrying twins. Mm. And I called her. And that panic moment when you know it's not going well. And she said, and this was, oh, seven, eight, 17 years ago. And she said the wisest words to me, which were sometimes it just has to be well with your soul. And I think I write about that. And I think sometimes we don't understand. We don't understand why something's happening, what's going on. 
but sometimes we have to let it be well with our soul and we have to even have that conversation with our soul and say, it will be well, it will be well, and rest in that protective covering and holding that God just holds us in his hands when nothing seems to make sense at all. And we just have to understand and make peace with the fact that it has to be well with our soul. Now, Susan, comes a huge thank you for getting up at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) My pleasure. And uh, we've had a delightful chat about your book, True You. Now, the good news is you can go back to sleep. I can, I can, and I hope I will be able to. Yeah, well, we've had a great visit, and uh, just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've got a wrap-up, folks, right after this. Stay with us. Susan, terrific, absolutely terrific. What a, uh, what a treat to talk to you. Oh, thank you. I hope that was okay. Oh, it was wonderful. And uh, I'm so pleased that uh, we could plug in and get you right on the money here. It was fun. It was great. And uh, uh, all the very best to you. Go sell a ton of books. Thanks, Pat. I hope so. Bye-bye, Susan. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Robert Wolgamuth, a former resident of Orlando. Uh, He was our guest talking about his book, Lies Men Believe. And then Susan Sohn joined us from Australia, believe it or not, uh, talking about her book, True You. We had a good visit with her. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my new book is coming out. It's called Character Carved in Stone. And it's about the 12 benches up at West Point, Army West Point, with a different word carved on the end of each bench. You'll have a good time reading it. Ravel put it out. And uh, that's all the news from here. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. And remember, faith comes by hearing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.